the Lord put something on my mind during worship I wanted to share, as if, uh, as if I had all the time in the world to share it. But it's on my heart. I wanted to share it with you. had kind of an image impressed upon me. And uh, here's what it is. Singing these songs, particularly, and what, what Tim said, God kind of used that in my mind. And uh, th- there's three different types of people. There are people who don't trust um, in Jesus for their salvation, meaning they, they, they believe in Jesus, but they don't actually trust him. So they have anxiety. They don't believe that. Uh, they don't believe deep down where it matters in the core of their being that it's sufficient for them. So they worry. They worry about their salvation. They worry about their relationship with God. And they don't have that deep heart understanding. You understand they believe it intellectually. They believe it, the truth of it. But they don't have that deep heart understanding. You are in through Jesus. There's no more work you need to add to what Jesus has done. You have a relationship with him. No anxiety. You're connected to him. Uh, Nothing can separate you from his love. Not height nor depth, length or width. Uh, None of the powers of hell can separate you from the love of Christ. That's a truth that many people intellectually assent to and agree with, but they don't believe it where it counts in the center of their heart. Um, So there's people that have anxiety about that. And and, uh, there's also... In day-to-day life, because they have anxiety about that, it takes up all of their energy, and so they can't really trust God with day-to-day things because they're, they're worried about the salvation thing, you know? They're worried about their relationship with God and fretting about that, and it just is like having all of your CPU's RAM is being sucked into anxiety, and you can't even walk with God. The second type of person is someone that, sh- that does trust in Jesus for salvation fully uh, and, and really counts on that but finds it really difficult to trust in God for day-to-day things, you know, things that come up, just trusting God, uh, trusting God with my health, trusting God with my kids, trusting God with the situation, trusting God with my finances, trusting God with my marriage, have this very difficult time letting go of those specific concerns, but they trust God fully for salvation, right? And there's a third kind of person, which is a person that I would aspire to, to be someday, and I'm not there yet, but that's the person that trusts in Jesus 100% and trusts Jesus day to day, just whispers under their breath, I trust you, whenever anything comes their way. Those are the people I look at, and I, I'm just amazed by them. They, they seem to have no anxiety. They have joy. They have joy in all circumstances because they believe that the Lord is near. It actually says that in the scriptures. Uh, Let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is near, Right? Let you are uh, having it all, you know, your countenance is, is calm because you just believe that the Lord is present. It's, he's imminent. He's with you in that moment. That's the kind of person that, uh, that I would aspire to be and want to be, not having any of my energy sucked into worry and anxiety. So I think the Lord is calling us today. If you are someone who, who is concerned about the salvation thing and, and uh, you can't even trust God from day to day with small things because of that, that question, you know, know that Jesus Christ is saying to you right now, I am enough for you. I am enough. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. It doesn't matter what you struggle with. Nothing can separate you from my love. Nothing. Nothing. That's what the Bible teaches. Hold on to that truth if you struggle with that anxiety today. And if you're the type of person that trusts in Jesus but have a tr- trouble trusting him from day to day, let that 
primary trust in Jesus for your salvation be an anchor for your soul. Put your anchor into that and dig it deep. And consider that to be your, uh, your anchor point for trusting Jesus from day to day. Uh, there's this kind of image in the Bible uh, of, of an anchor, of Jesus being an anchor for us, uh, that everything, you know, Jesus is in the heavenly realm. We are seated with him in Jesus Christ. We are saved. We are covered. We are, we are completely free and forgiven through Jesus. And it's like an anchor for our soul. Hold on to that rope attached to that anchor and trust Jesus, I challenge you, with those small day-to-day things that everyone in this culture thinks it's okay to worry about. And we have all kinds of excuses as to why they're valid to worry about. But as, as somebody who trusts in Jesus for that salvation, take that trust and just let it work its way back so that we can become that third kind of person that trusts him from moment to moment, day to day, as we walk in faith. Does that make sense? So I think God has a challenge for all of us this morning. It's, it's to trust in him, to trust, to trust in him. Uh, if you have none of those kinds of trust, to come to him and have your anxiety relieved by the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, and then, to, then if you're someone who has difficulty trusting him day to day, to hold on to your salvation and consider that a launching, a launching pad to trust him in other areas. Uh, consider it your, your foot in the door to trusting him in day-to-day things, that we all might become people who trust him, that we all might be people whose countenance is not disturbed when troubles come our way. Uh, because the Lord is near, and the Lord has made every allowance for us to draw near to God. So that's, that's the challenge I feel this morning from the Lord. Um, I wanted to uh, take a few moments with you, and I'm not going to go into everything that I prepared today, but I want to share some foundational things with you uh, from the beginning of our new series. What were we doing 15 years ago as a church, by the way? Anyone know? 15 years ago. You must know. Well, what was it? That's right. We were hanging out on Saturday nights at the New Horizon building on Perry Road. And it was, uh, and when we left that place in 2005 and we built this building, um, well, I guess we were here <laughs> 10 years ago, but 15 years ago we were in New Horizons. That's right. Uh, when we left it, I began to call it Old Horizons because it's, we left it. It's our Old Horizon. We have a New Horizon here. Uh, but, but we were going through the book of Acts with Pastor Bo. And I have a vintage collector's item. These are cassette tapes. It's a uh, expensive. You know, can I hear $10? So this is good stuff. Maybe we should just plug it in and listen to it. The real to real. But we are, we are beginning once again a series through the book of Acts. And I, I couldn't be more excited. It's content that I'm really excited about because I believe that the Lord is just catalyzing and moving through this, through this uh, inspirational book and through what we're doing in our small groups. And by the way, if you haven't joined a small group, you know the question, are you in? We have signups back there. We're going through this book, River Dwellers, about living a life with the Spirit. And it's going to coincide with what we're doing as a church in the book of Acts. But uh, I'm just so excited about the book of Acts. Uh, it, it gives us both the history of where we came from, but it also gives us a model, as you will see today, for where we are going. So it's a really big deal. Uh, Acts is written by a guy named Luke. Luke was a doctor, a very eloquent writer, and he wrote the book of Luke. Imagine that. He wrote the book of Luke, and then he wrote the book of Acts. So they're kind of like sequels to each other, Luke and Acts. And Luke is one of the Gospels. It tells the story of Jesus. It has a, it's a really great Gospel because it really emphasizes the relationships of, of, of the people uh, that Jesus uh, t- 
touched and healed in a very intimate way. So I really encourage you to read that. But, but Luke launches right into Acts, and you'll see right in the beginning of Acts that truth. Oh. What's happened in the end of Luke? What happened at the end of Luke? Does anyone know? The very end. The ascension, yeah. That's right. Jesus, in, in, in one short chapter, Jesus, or, or two chapters, Jesus dies on the cross, and he rises again, and he ascends into heaven. Uh, Jesus was thought by his followers that to be a political messiah, they thought that Jesus was going to actually become, like, be raised up. He, he was kind of keeping a low profile during their time with him. But after a few years, they thought he's going to raise up He's going to rise up and become a supreme ruler. He can heal. He knows he can hear from God. He can do miracles. He can raise the dead. He's going to be our ultimate Messiah. He's going to lead the Jewish people into basically freedom and, and, and dominance in the world. And all of the nations of the world will kind of fall in line underneath, uh, underneath the Jews who are being ruled by Jesus. And there will be this equitable and just society with Jesus as the king, literally on earth, of this nation— and then the, that nation will kind of control the rest of the known world. And we, get, we know this because the disciples keep on saying things like, Jesus, <laughs> I kind of make them sound stupid when I talk, but Jesus, um, when you're in your kingdom, can my brother sit at your left hand and me at your right hand? That would be great. Like they asked all these ridiculous questions because they thought they wanted these places of earthly power. And you'll see actually in Acts that they say, they say to Jesus, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdoms to Israel? They thought when Jesus rose again and was hanging out with them, they're like, great, the dream isn't dead. He is going to be a political Messiah. He is going to do all this stuff. Are you going to restore the kingdom now? And Jesus said, you don't know the day or the times. And then he ascended, which was probably profoundly disappointing and confusing to these guys. Uh, he told them so many times what was going to happen. If you read the Gospels, Constantly, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed. You'll be handed into the, uh, into the hands of evil men. You know, all this is going to take place just so you're prepared for it. They're like, okay, when are you going to become the earthly king and destroy everybody? It's like, <laughs> you don't get it, people. This is not the way God's kingdom is coming. It's not a political um, deal where we, like, firebomb everybody. It's not like that. That's not the kingdom of God. Uh, so so this, is, this is what's going on with Jesus' death. He, he's, he's crucified in Luke uh, 23, 44. He's placed in the tomb, and the disciples are just completely crushed. Three years, three years of their lives gone. Jesus is dead. They don't remember anything he said about rising again or any of that stuff. Um, the kingdom is not coming the way they hoped. Just profoundly disappointing. And they all left jobs and family and all kinds of things to follow him, and now he's gone. So, uh, so Jesus dies. Everyone kind of deserts Jesus. There's no point to sticking around. But uh, people still loved him very much, and, and the women came to his tomb at the end of Luke 24. They went to Jesus' body, and they came to see uh, Jesus' body and how it was laid in the tomb, and they wanted to anoint his body with spices and oil, which is a tradition. And they were just, you know, heartbroken, disappointed. They loved Jesus Jesus was very tender. Everyone missed him quite a bit. But on the first day of the week in, in Luke 24, very early in the morning, as the women were uh, coming to anoint Jesus, they come to the tomb, and the, the stone is rolled away. 
and they see these two angels who are kind of glowing sitting there in the tomb, and they say, the angels say, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered. (laughs) So, okay, he rose again. This is awesome. This is the story of Easter. And then Jesus hung around for how long before he ascended into heaven? Forty days. It's kind of like surprising because you, you read it, and it's like one chapter. That's the last chapter in the book. So, but he's hanging out for 40 days during this time. He's appearing to all these different people. And uh, he, he walks with the disciples for a while down a road, the road to Emmaus, and they don't recognize him. He's kind of veiled himself so they can't recognize him. And they just tell him everything that's happened. Oh, it was very exciting, and, and uh, you know, there was a man that we were following, and he, he died, and, um, and our dream is, is dead, essentially. They stood there with their faces downcast. And then Jesus kind of pretended like he didn't know what they were talking about, which is funny. It sounds like kind of a fun thing to do. In verse 18, one of them, a man named Cleopas, asked Jesus, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem, and do you not know the things that have happened here in these days? He goes, what things? <laughs> He's just toying with them. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he would be the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. And in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just like the women had said. But him they did not see. And then Jesus said, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken, not to mention the things that Jesus had told them. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. That's pretty cool. A lesson from Jesus on the entirety of the Bible. That's pretty awesome. He just, he's like, oh, let me take you verse by verse. Expository preaching here. From Genesis all the way through the last book in the Old Testament. Because the New Testament wasn't written. All right. So... He teaches them all this stuff, and they approached the village to which they were going, and Jesus acted like he was going further. But they urged him strongly, please stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. You think that was a reminder of something that happened? That's a big hint. Then their eyes were opened, spiritually opened. And they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Just at that moment. This is a good story, I'll tell you. It's a page-turner. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them, so he just appeared. (laughs) Peace be with you, he said. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. I'd like to pause for one moment. So Jesus' resurrected body, 
people thought it was a ghost because it could disappear. Maybe people in our modern culture would say, oh, it was a ghost if they saw it. But Jesus' body was not a ghost body. It was a glorified body uh, made perfect. He was able to even allow Thomas to touch the wounds in his side and feel the marks on him. You know, the marks that show the salvation that he brings to all of us. You know, the marks that where he was killed on the cross to provide a, a covering for our sins so that we could come to the Father and trust in God and, and, and be free. The marks, he showed them to Thomas. It was, it was his physical body. He wasn't a ghost. He wasn't less than human. He was more than human. He was glorified. And someday we will have resurrection bodies like Jesus. But I'd just like to make the point. wasn't a ghost. wasn't a, wasn't a wisp or a spirit. It was a physical body, but it was more than a body, not less. Jesus said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. Can you imagine seeing, seeing your hope crucified on the cross and dying? And then he comes to you. He shows you the holes where he was just crucified. It's almost like post-traumatic stress syndrome. You see that, and you're like, all of that comes flooding back. Yeah, he's alive. I think he felt the need to uh, prove to them a little more that he was really a person and not a ghost, because they still did not believe because of their joy and amazement. And so he asked them, you have anything here to eat? Which is something I say all the time when I go to people's houses. You have anything here to eat? My good friends, I just go in their fridge and take stuff. Right, Sarah Rogers? Brad? And you all can come to my house and take whatever you want. Anytime. <laughs> they gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it in their presence. They're like, is it going to fall out of him? No, it's, he's, really a part, he's really there. He's glorified. But he can go through locked doors. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Jesus had been prophesied throughout the whole Old Testament. Like, intensely, he'd been prophesied about. And he was saying, look, everything that's happened to me, right down to the nails in my hands, right down to the blood and the water flowing from my side, right down to, to everything, everything that was prophesied in specific detail had to happen to fulfill this thing. And then, once again, he spiritually opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Which is why I think we need to do that too when we read the scriptures. We need to pray to understand. We need that, the eyes of our heart to be enlightened so we can know the Lord. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, 
praising God. This is quite a story. And this is the backdrop for the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the sequel. It's the next book written by Luke in a, in a series of two books uh, about Jesus Christ. But the last thing that we read from Luke is, what did Jesus say last? He said, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. Stay in the city till you've been clothed with power from on high. So in our last couple of moments here, I just want to read to you from the beginning of Acts. Luke says, in my former book, which is Luke, right, you guys are good. In my former book, Theophilus, Theophilus is a word that means beloved one. It's kind of a normal way for people to write letters, uh, chain big letters to large groups of people. In my former book, Loved One, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to help him give instructions? That's interesting. Okay. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father's promised. Remember that one? Which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So what's the gift? The Holy Spirit. And notice in this, in this passage, Jesus says, Jesus teach, is teaching his disciples through the Holy Spirit about the gift of God, which is the Holy Spirit. We have, all, we have the whole Trinity working here in unity. We talked about that this summer. John baptized you with water. In a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Here we go again. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I'm not making this up. And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, Forget about your kingdom, your earthly kingdom, your firebombing, your dominance, your control, your power, your desire to be rulers and, and rule people and tell people what to do. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And that is when my kingdom is going to come. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And that is when my kingdom will come. We're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit in our small groups. We're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit in our services. This is the meat of how we live out our faith as Christians. You can't just have good information and expect to be a fully effective disciple of Jesus Christ. You can't just have good objective data. We need to have an experience of God's power. We do. We need to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Paul, he intentionally did not speak eloquently at times in his ministry so that people's confidence would not rest on his words, but on the demonstration of the Spirit's power. He intentionally, like, handicapped his own speaking so that people wouldn't put their confidence in him, but put their confidence in God and what God can do. And Paul said, famously, the kingdom of God is not a matter of words, but of power. 
It's all about the power of the Holy Spirit in us. It's not enough to have the right information. We need to have transformation in our experience and encounter with God. And I believe that's what God is working on in this church. I think God is going to bring us to a place where we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. I felt this way for a very long time. The reason why I preached through this summer was to prepare us for this. Because I believe that God has a part two to Jesus' mission. A part two. Because notice what it says in Acts 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until he was taken up to heaven. What does he mean, began to do and teach until he was taken up to heaven? Wouldn't we say, I wrote about all that he did and taught before he was taken into heaven? No, he doesn't say that. He says, I taught you everything that he began to do and teach, meaning meaning that Acts is not just a sequel to Luke, but but the Holy Spirit and the church is a sequel to Jesus. This is a mind-blowing thing. But Jesus is continuing to work in the world through the church in powerful ways. And believe it or not, Jesus himself said the sequel would be better than the original film. Unlike Batman versus Superman. Unlike Speed 2, the sequel, Jesus said, will be better than the original film. And that seems like a crazy thing because Jesus was a pretty good film. You just saw some pretty good stuff here in Luke. But Jesus says, you see these cool things I'm doing. You will do greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Whenever he said that phrase, because I'm going to the Father, he's referring to, because when I go to the Father, I'll send my spirit. And then you'll all be me. You'll all be reflecting in your own unique ways and your own personalities with your own giftings and talents that God gave you and equipped you with from your birth before you were born in your own special way, like light going through stained glass and refracting around the, around the room in your own special way, you are going to be me. And there's going to be lots of you. The word Christian means little Christ. The spirit of Christ is in us as Christians. So it's exciting. We are the sequel. Acts 28 is not the last chapter in the book of Acts. But we are not only spectating what historically happened, we're not only looking at what people did through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The next step is we look at this and then we do it. Because that's God's plan. Everything was fulfilled through Jesus and the Psalms, the prophets, everything that was foretold. And finally, the kingdom has come. The Spirit has come. And next time we talk, two weeks from now, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit in some more detail. And I just want us to open ourselves up to what God is doing, to offer ourselves to God. It says in Romans uh, 12.1, present yourselves, therefore, to God as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. So this morning, I just ask you to prepare your soul for what God is going to do in us by his spirit in the coming days. I can feel it. I can hear it. We pray for it. But I believe that God is going to do great things as we yield our lives to him, as we surrender more and more. And I would invite you to pray this prayer. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. My salvation is set through Jesus. 
Fill me with your spirit. I need power from on high. Oh, the joy of full salvation, sin and death defeated, glory to his name. This morning, remember, regardless of what you've done, regardless of what you continue to do, if you look to Jesus, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. But that's only a small part of the picture. Full salvation is not only forgiveness through Jesus for all of our sins, past, present, and future. The fullness, the fullness comes when we receive God himself. That's what this is all about. Jesus is Holy Spirit. People often say, Jesus is the answer to every question. Well, that's kind of abstract, isn't it? That's a tough one. But the Holy Spirit is Jesus' spirit. And as we encounter him in our experience, as we seek after him, we ask for him to fill us. We can be transformed. And we can live life abundantly, not just survive, not just get by, not just grovel underneath the table waiting for scraps to fall to us but sitting in the place at the table the Father's prepared for us through Jesus, the Holy Spirit. This is what we're going to be talking about. I'd like to bless you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three in one, working in mysterious unity, I bless you. I pray that you would know that you are forgiven, that you are free, that you are secure in Jesus and his finished work on the cross, regardless of what you've done or what you're doing, nothing can separate you from his love. And that you would know the fullness of what God intended when he saved you, that you would receive his very self in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You would be filled with the Spirit. You would encounter God in a different way than ever before in the coming days. I bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dispersed. Go and be the church. And join us next week as we have a missionary from Mali, Africa. And she is going to be sharing about what the Holy Spirit is doing in Africa. It's going to be really exciting. So we'll see you next Sunday.